0: All right. Well, hey, this morning we are going to be continuing our message series in Acts. Um, And hopefully you were able to be with us last week. If not, you can always go back on our Facebook page and watch. But Harriet Congdon was with us last week starting in Acts 2 and did a great job of laying out the heart of how Acts is sharing um, that it isn't an individualistic um, idea or movement that's happening. But the Jesus movement, the Jesus people is ultimately a community movement. Um, and Harriet had this great uh, kind of summation of what she was looking at last week, is that how do, how do we come together as a community to take communal responsibility for communal harm so we can work towards communal restoration, reconciliation? And that theme is going to return and continue again this week as we are going to look at Acts 3. Um, So just a little bit of context for Acts 3. We're going to be specifically looking at verses 11 through 26 this morning, uh, which is a speech that Peter makes. But the reason why he's making the speech is because there is a healing so um, you, you might be familiar with the story, you may have heard it before, or this might be new to you. Either way, it's great. Uh, in some ways, it's better if you've never heard it before, because, you know, no assumptions. Uh, but there's a man who can't walk, and he is outside of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, so just kind of setting a place, the temple in Jerusalem, the last time we were there in the biblical narrative, this is the place that Jesus uh, threw out the money changers. Um, so... Staying for there just a second. The reason why Jesus threw out the money changers and said, you've turned a house of prayer into a den of thieves is because they were exchanging money. You had to buy um, animals to sacrifice there, which was the Jewish custom. And they were exchanging uh, money there, but their rates were very favorable. They were making a large profit off of um, changing money in the temple. And this was, um, you know, exceptionally uh, distasteful to Jesus, because it's like, how far away can we get from the plot of the God who loves us, brings blessings in and through us, so that the whole world is blessed, so that everyone belongs, so that everyone uh, knows who God is, and that God is with them, not against them. How did we get so far away from them, that we're basically running a Ponzi scheme out of the church to steal money from people? Um, Because even in the earliest systems, there are allowances made for people that don't have money. There's always a justice and an equity within the heart of the church. So that was the last major scene that happened in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, And now what's interesting is that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, which is when... um, all voices that everyone's able to hear in their own language, the message of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Uh, They're returning to the the Jerusalem temple um, for prayers, for afternoon prayers. Now, I want to stop there for a second, because a lot of times it's like, okay, they're going to the temple. But these are the followers of Jesus. So it was in Jerusalem that Jesus was arrested. It was in Jerusalem that Jesus was tried. It was in Jerusalem that in front of people, very much like the people that Peter is going to be talking to and seeing, they had Jesus and another man, Barabbas, who had was a zealot who had actually killed a man, and they said, as the Passover uh, tradition, we get to free one prisoner. Who do you want to free? Jesus, a man who's com- committed no crimes, or a murderer? And the crowd says, Barabbas. We would rather see Barabbas freed than Jesus. That's where they're going back to. So even just to to start thinking about what emotions and feelings do they have returning to this place? Is there any anxiety? Is there any animosity? Is there anger? Is there hatred? Is there sadness? Are they easy, breezy, beautiful? I don't know. Uh, but I think it's good to think about what emotions would you have in returning to this space that is not a neutral space. It's a space that they know and have been to before. As they're walking in, they encounter a man who can't walk. He looks at them. Peter has this great line: Gold and silver, I don't have any of that. If you're if you're um, because they would usually beg outside um, for money um, if they didn't have a way of of earning money or working. And in that culture at that time, someone who could not walk. Um, it was very much an ableist society and in many ways that we are today. And so the way that you would make a living is either be supported by your family or you would beg on your own. And Peter says, like, I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have, I give to you rise up and walk. And so this man walks. Now this man being placed there is as much an institution as the pillars of the temple. He has been there and has been a part of the, the, the tapestry, the walls, the ambiance of this Jerusalem temple. So seeing him rising up and walking is a very big deal. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, um, we do have a picture of the temple. So you can kind of see here. Um, if it doesn't make any sense, I'm going to try and do a little spotlight. No, it's not working. You can see there in the middle. (laughs) You can see there in the middle, that's the temple. So it's not like a hat and a hat. Uh, It's not like a temple inside of a temple. It kind of is. So the outside of that is the walls, and that's where people would enter in. On the upper right of your screen, um, that's where you are. That is Solomon's porch, or the colonnade is what it's called uh, in the the Bible. Different names for it. And so... um, what you have there is that's where they would have entered in. And then a crowd of people, that whole uh, big open area inside of the, um, are we live or not live, Sarah? Um, I think we are. Oh, I'm we're having, back. Yeah, I'm having some issues on my uh, iPad <laughs> with it, yes. We were gone, but I think we're back now. Okay, eh, that's great. I got a text confirmation that we're back, that's great. Here's what's important about this section is that it doesn't say, uh, there is no substitutionary atonement theology in this. And what I mean by that substitutionary atonement is that, um, and you may have uh, sung it in in kind of more common worship uh, songs of today, which is basically Jesus lived to die. The whole reason that Jesus existed was to die on a cross, pay for our sins, and that's how it all work. But what we see here isn't that Jesus' death was this kind of divine conspiracy where we were moving people and it was like, yeah, you can go ahead and uh, you can go ahead and kill Jesus because that's how it has to work. What Peter says is it was you all, you here present. The reason why Jesus was killed isn't some kind of divine conspiracy setting it all up, but it's actually our corporate and communal sin. We didn't recognize who Jesus was. And there's a a way where because of what Christianity is in the world today, we hyper-spiritualize this. Let's not hyper-spiritualize it for a second. The fact remains that an innocent man was killed by the state. That's what Jesus was. Even if you were saying like, regardless of kind of the theological implications of Jesus' death and resurrection, the guy didn't do anything wrong. And ultimately, the reason for that isn't because there's some sort of divine thing going on, according to Luke, as he is writing this, but he's saying, it is, it is us, it is you, it is we. Continuing on, it says, you disown the holy and righteous one um, and all, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life and God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that has come through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. The other thing to to note here is that when Peter and John first enter in, it says that the man, they look at the man who is lame, which is some really key and beautiful language for us to get curious about. How are they looking at him? Why are they looking at him? Um, But you can imagine that there's probably a discomfort in having this man always be there, and that a lot of people ignore him or pass right by him. But Peter and John actually see him and actually look at him to say, What do you need? How are we able to be helpful? The reason why I bring that up is that in this section, what Peter is saying is, You're looking at us with that same introspection. You're putting us on trial. Like, are these guys worthy of being trusted? Who are these guys? What are they doing? And what Peter is saying is you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're trying to isolate this incident as, a, as a, a fixed incident. Like this right here is all that matters. But what I'm telling you is what's happening here and now is tied to who Jesus is. And that's going to be important in a second. Continuing it is, it says, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. And I want you, uh, one of the ways it's been helpful to read that is don't read that as a sick burn but rather as a statement of grace. So what he's saying is you you killed an innocent man. You killed Jesus. But he's not saying you ignorant dummies. He's saying you didn't know what you were doing. Your leaders didn't know what they were doing. But he's saying this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Basically what Peter is saying is that, but we knew The words of our prophets, we know that prophets aren't honored, aren't seen, their voices aren't heard in the time. In fact, it's easier in our systems, in our societies, in our communities to expel the voice that calls out the sin that is harming this community than to actually deal with the sin. Over and over, it's easier to do that. So what is the response to that? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for him to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. What's happening here, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, is that Peter's continually tying everything that's happening now. You're looking at me because a man who could not walk can walk now. But what's important about this situation is to tie it to our entire lineage, our whole story, who we are as a people. If you don't understand the whole story, if you don't understand the history, if you don't understand who we were made to be, if you want to come to this temple and worship Moses and the, the God of Moses and talk about stories of Moses all day and how amazing Moses was, but you're still going to kill an innocent man and then be all swept up by miracles, you're going to miss the whole story. The thing that you came here to do has been happening and it's been happening right under your nose. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have spoken, have foretold of these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Okay. So this is this uh, one of a couple of like epic speeches by Peter. And what I love about this speech is that he's coming back and he's trying to remind the Jewish people of who they are. Now, what's important is that the people he's reminding of who they are, are just the people that gathered the people that were coming to say, what is Judaism? What is this faith? Or the people that were returning or kind of making their regular sacrifices or their religious duties. Peter and John at this point are not talking to the Jewish leaders. And the reason why we know that is because they don't show up until the beginning of chapter four. And it says, then they all come and they call Peter and John unschooled, ordinary men. And they try them and they arrest them and they say, you shouldn't be here. And what I love about that is the reason why they're so upset is because Peter and John has disrupted the hierarchy of this religious system. What they're saying is like, hey, religious truth doesn't come from ordinary unschooled people like you. It comes from people who have studied this, who know this, who have made their jobs and living. People like me, they're like, that's who you should be listening to. But you shouldn't just be listening to the people in the street or the people that are out here, especially these guys. That guy was a fisherman. He dropped out of rabbi school. He's the last person you should listen to. The Jesus movement is constantly disrupting the hierarchy and disrupting this idea of truth or leadership only comes from particular people who look a particular way. And what's happening is that Peter and John are saying, like, you want to know where we learn this stuff? You want to know where we figured this out? You're investigating us with your eyes. You're questioning us. Like, who are these guys? Where did you show up? How did you learn this? Oh, reminds me of my favorite PSA from 1987. Is yours? No, I'm not. Your s- head she found in your closet. I don't know. What a guy was. Most of what? Look, it's it, Where did you get it? Dad. Answer me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs oh, man. children who use drugs. Oh, 1987. We were shaking people up. You know, nothing is more relevant in a church service than sharing a uh, public service announcement that is 33 years old. But that phrase... You, I learned from watching you, still resonates to this day. People who've never seen that PSA use it. Why? Because there's this truth that there is a disconnect from people that have said, this is our heart. This is who we are. This is our identity. And then over time, they drift and they move away from it. And they start doing and serving other things that are in direct violations of their stated goals. What Peter and John are doing is trying to remind them where did we learn all this stuff? Where do we know that there's this idea that all of us are called and the common people and the people that have no right being in leadership are the ones that God is looking for. Like King David, the one you say is like so awesome and amazing. Like Moses, who is like shuttled down the Nile in a little wrapped up thing and taken in and killed a man later. Like our whole story is people who shouldn't be in charge that God is working through to include and involve everyone. You've lost the plot. And the reason why I think this story is so resonant in the world today is that PSA, like you, I learned by watching you feels like an active conversation right now from younger people who are no longer a part of the evangelical church with the evangelical church in the United States of America today. Where did we learn to honor and respect people with vision and leadership like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you, from your sacred text. We didn't get here by leaving the church or abandoning the sacred text. We got here by actually getting into it and listening to it and letting it have leadership and authority in our lives. Which is simply to say, like, we're using this story to actually have some sway in how we live our lives and what we do And the reason why I love this story is the other parallel that I see is that this story in Acts three feels like identical with the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening today. You, white America, either through willfully centering white narratives and stories or unconsciously moving ahead with a white supremacist narrative and how all of the systems and structures in the United States of America are set up have allowed innocent men and innocent women to be shot and killed. And if I could be like the most charitable, you've done so in ignorance. But when Peter is speaking to them, it's the voice we're hearing in this cultural moment today. If you are a white American, you don't get to be ignorant anymore. And the call and the invitation that is baked into the fabric of the religious identity of Christians is repentance. Turn around. See and recognize that this is actively fighting against who God is and what God has for us collectively as a people. We have to stop. And not through shame, not through your bad, but through recognizing that you've been a part of some bad stuff. And what I love is like we talk about grace a lot and big picture grace that's like so ambiguous, it doesn't mean anything, but grace has actual tangible meaning and impact in our world. And there is a grace that is for all of us to grab onto, not for self comfort or for avoidance, but through sitting with the hard truth that we have been a part of an unjust system that has hurt and harmed so many people. And another parallel Is I think that as we are inside, and many of us, and I know for myself, have been feeling panic attacks and anxiety, and having all kinds of things in my own life that have been disorienting, and have been hard to deal with. That the stuff that's been happening in my own life are messages to wake up and pay attention to and to be present with, because that is the path forward. I'm sure that there were a number of Jews in that temple that wanted to forget about the whole Jesus incident. They wanted to swipe it away and say, we got a little carried away last Passover, didn't we? I think we like killed a guy. And they would rather avoid it as a way of moving forward and becoming whole and becoming better. But that's not how life works. We have to pay attention to the pain and the difficulty that is happening culturally around us and as happening internally within us in a hard and difficult time where so many are not doing the best that they are able. We are not in a collective great spot, but what we learn from the scripture is that's Okay. What we learn from the story is it's okay to not be in a great spot. It's okay to be in a painful spot and it's okay to have to face hard truths because on the other side of hard truths is something bigger and better and more beautiful for everybody. So how do we learn those lessons? How do we stick with those lessons and how do we remain steadfast to say, if the call is for me to repent, I need to repent. And what does repentance look like for me and seeing and hearing black Americans who tell the stories of what it's like to live and be in this country in a white centered narrative? How do we listen to people that say in a male dominated narrative? How do we live in a culture that says in a hypocritical Christian narrative? How do we own and acknowledge all of that and not say, yeah, Jerry Falwell's is the worst. But no, I've been a part of those systems. We've been a part of those systems. And what we see in the scripture is We don't have to beat ourselves up and feel bad. We get to be a part of it now. We didn't eliminate ourselves. Only our further actions can eliminate us from being a part of God's bigger and better story. This is my hope for this whole message series is that in Acts, we can see that the story of how the church is called to interact back then is the same story today. It keeps repeating itself. And only by engaging that story and re-engaging that narrative in our world today can we hope for a better outcome? Can we hope for a more just world and a better place to be? So I'm grateful that you're along with this journey and I hope that you'll stay with us So we have a lot of amazing and varied teachers that are gonna be with us over the coming weeks. Ta-da! Thanks, Kurt. Nailed Again. it. Thanks for that hard challenge this morning.